Hey friends, this is Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous, where we discuss pop culture through the lens of race or gender, and sometimes both. And I'm your host, Julia Washington. And on today's show, my friend Megan Morgan is back and we are discussing Say Anything. When you join our Patreon community, you get access to all episodes, bonus content, invitations to our monthly happy hour, and a weekly drop-in hangout session that feels more like hanging out at a coffee shop. The cost is only $15 a month. When you join, we'll even give you a shout out in one of our episodes. When we hit 100 members, there may even be a book club involved too for us book nerds. Don't wait. Join us. Become a Pop Culture Club member today. Say Anything debuted on April 14th, 1989 and starred John Cusack, Ione Skye, and John Mahoney. This film was written and directed by Cameron Crowe, but before we dive into our discussion, let me get you reacquainted with my guest. Megan Morgan is a yoga teacher, author, artist, and marketing maven who was born in Bermuda, raised in Canada, and who made California her home eight years ago. Adopted as a baby, her Black and multiracial identity continues to inform all avenues of her life, from her artwork to her writing and even her yoga teaching. Married for 25 years to her college sweetheart, Richard, and with two adult daughters and two dogs, Megan's life as a reluctant and messy emerging empty nester is full, fabulous, and a constant work in progress. And friends who've been with us for a while, you'll remember that Megan stopped by to discuss Nella Larson's 1929 novel, Passing, and the 2021 film adaptation of the same name. She is my friend in real life, though we still have yet to meet in person. And I am so excited she is back. Welcome, Megan. (laughs) Thank you so much. I couldn't resist a little giggle there because I feel like we have totally hung out and realized that you've hung out so much online, but that's going to happen this weekend, I think. So Uh I'm excited. Yes. I can't wait. I'm like, what's human connection? (laughs) (laughs) we're so awkward now yeah what does that look like you keep Uh telling me you're tall but how tall are you really (laughs) (laughs) you did the first thing people say wow you are so and I'm not that tall like I feel we have friends family who's taller yeah yeah I'm like I've usually got boots or heels and a lot of hair that's up on top of my head so I think it makes me look taller than I actually am and like we don't know how to process tall women apparently like that's not a thing that we see represented in pop culture at all no no unless you're a model or like an actress I feel like those it's like expected you'll be but again not too tall because you don't want to be taller than the leading man yeah because heaven forbid (laughs) that's what I love with all like like the 510-ish big mm-hmm. actors that there are I love watching the camera angles they give them to make them look taller than their yeah. stars throughout the whole movie it just yeah. absolutely kills me and it's fine we know they do that now <laughs> I love those like this is how we make sure every- if this if this were real life this is where the dude would be and this is where the girl would be standing next to each other mm-hmm. over the shoulder it's always an over the shoulder yeah look yeah. to make them look look taller why do we still do that why I don't know I don't know we don't do that in theater like it doesn't like I've had co-stars if you will who were like because I'm five five so like it's not hard to be taller than me (laughs) (laughs) 
and even like even if I have to I don't know anyway let's move on (laughs) this is not why we are here today we are here today to discuss say anything so here we go the 1989 Hollywood Reporter Review had this to say As an intuitive and sympathetic look at teenagers on the verge of big decisions, Say Anything stakes out territory somewhere between John Hughes' adolescent fantasies and the corrosive satire in Heathers. This is Cameron Crowe's debut and was generally met with critic praise. The TV Guide, which I was like super thrilled that TV Guide popped up because I loved reading TV Guide when I was a Mm -hmm. kid and into high school and shortly into adulthood before it died. The TV Guide called this film a far cry from Hollywood teen romance. And later on in that Hollywood Reporter review, they said, quote, Cameron Crowe, who wrote and directed the film, develops an underlying ideas with a precise subtlety. This is not a melodrama about two kids who fall in love and a parent who gets in trouble with the IRS. It considers the story as if it were actually happening with all the uncertainties of real life, end quote. Not everyone had positive reviews of the film, though. Variety at the time was not charmed by Cameron Crowe's debut. Quote, say anything is a half-baked love story full of good intentions, but uneven in the telling. Appealing tale of an undirected army brat proving himself worthy of the most exceptional girl in high school elicits a few laughs, plenty of smiles, and some genuine feeling. They even go on to say that Diane's character is flat and claims there is structural problems with the film. So I feel like, Megan, we should really just start with why do you love this movie? Because <laughs> I, me personally, I was the exact same age as these characters when this film came out. And I don't think I realized it at the time because I feel like it came out in theaters and I probably saw it a year later. Mm. Um, is that because you were in Canada and this is they would I mean movies would generally get released on the same but I don't know I don't have a comparison of seeing movies in the U.S. compared to Canada but I feel like they do get released at the same time just not as many theaters um but I would just see I just recall seeing it on VHS (laughs) like I remember putting a tape into the so I feel like it was a year um, later and it was like retrospect. I was like, oh, this was kind of my life in a way, mm. like watching it. I'd forgotten about so much of it. The car that he drives, is it? I think it's a Chevy it's a Chevy Malibu. Malibu. My high school boyfriend actually drove one of those. And I was like, what? Like, I didn't get it at the time. Like, I think I just saw it all later, but really... I think what I loved most of all um, about it was, and maybe it's still a thing now. I don't know because I'm so far removed from high school, but it's like, oh, there's the jocks mm-hmm. and there's the brains mm-hmm. and there's the cheerleaders and there's the artsy people. And there's like, everybody was in their boxes and it was pretty well defined, but you didn't go outside those lines. And I kind of forgot, mm-hmm. you know, how that, how that was. And I love that story of those boundaries and lines start to blur together and that um, Diane and Lloyd get together and she kind of gives him a shot and she never really I don't know if she fully explains why she does that but there's something she just trusts about it and I feel Mm -hmm. like that's the nature of love like that's the nature of trust when we're just like I don't know what it is about this person or this this situation but I want to explore more about those and, and people who take that leap that's kind of sometimes where all that magic happens. Cause we're always told, you know, long-term divorce rates and 
that's actually the whole other thing in, in rewatching this before I get too off topic. I'm like, I actually really want to know why Diane's parents divorced because they don't get into that. Mm-hmm. I feel like they never reveal that. And divorce was so common in the 80s that they there was no need to do it because it was just like, well, this is happening everywhere. So we don't have to get into it anymore. But a lot of people will say a marriage is doomed to fail if you don't have all this stuff in common. So like if you're both jocks or you're both brains, you know, this is the recipe. You came from the same church, the same community, the same neighborhood. Those are all the things in your favor. And so I feel like with Floyd and Diane, because they were, you know, rebuffing all those things mm-hmm. that people are like, you're doomed, you're doomed. And they probably had the best intentions, yeah. um, but it, it's not necessarily what's best for the people. I think people didn't give Lloyd enough credit because he is an army brat, because he's constantly having to grow and change and adapt mm-hmm. that maybe he could adapt. Yeah. Yeah. And, and her too, like when you think about how much she had to adapt through her parents divorcing and also his situation, like mm-hmm. he's living with his sister whose husband left her and he's like kind of co-parenting mm-hmm. his nephew, you know, like they really were coming from totally fragmented families. So they actually had that in common that could have been explored more mm-hmm. in the movie. Like if Diane had met his nephew or yeah. they'd spent time together. I feel like that, that could have been another connection point. You know, it's interesting about you bringing up how they never explain why the parents are divorced. It didn't occur to me to think about it until like after the fact, when I was sort of debriefing in my brain about it, like, cause there's that scene with her mom where she's like, when the the dad's getting picked up from the IRS and she's like, and he's, she's like, mom, please just be, you know, kind about daddy, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, I'm not basically the mom was like, I'm not surprised your dad's getting busted by the IRS. That was the tone I, I took. So that's kind of the extent of what you get about the, um, issues between the, between the two of them. Cause Diane's Mm -hmm. telling Lloyd about it, but from her perspective as a child, not, you know, the being in the relationship Mm -hmm. with her parents. And it is interesting that she chose her dad over her mom that, you don't. I don't know if we, I don't know if that happens a lot. I feel like a lot of the kids I knew whose parents were divorcing, they wanted to stay with mom. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like that's not knowing a ton about family court. I I feel like they do usually prioritize moms, you know, and the things that I've, I've heard about um, that. So yeah, it's, it stood out to me at the time and it still Mm -hmm. stands out to me now as something that's a little, again, that's another thing that's a little off the beaten track of what you expect. Yeah, And now it just made me think about Ferris Bueller's day off. And I know we're not talking about this movie, but I feel like it was made around the similar time. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Ferris Bueller, I think is 86. Oh yeah. Okay. So a few years, a few years later, mm-hmm. right? Because this was 1989. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's something about like with that, it was more like I felt like those were totally unparented kids. And and this didn't say anything. Oh, and also that it's it was that's so sorry, so close to the beginning of the movie where her dad says, you know, you can say anything to me. He that's actually, right. I was like, wait, no, I thought that was totally between her and Lloyd, but it was yeah. actually between her and her father. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, because they were super, super close. And I feel like that's also something I sure didn't see. Like, I had one friend growing up in the 80s who I'd say had maybe that kind of relationship with her dad, mm-hmm. but also 
like her mom was around too. And so mm-hmm. I feel like just to see a father and daughter that were that close, I had never seen anything like that yeah. on screen before. And so I liked it because of what it it showed was possible. Right. And we'll get into that in a little bit. Oh, <laughs> high school love and the innocence of it all can feel so wholesome, even when you layer the complexity of their lives in because their life experience is still a vacuum. Roger Ebert's review had this to say, quote, the romance between Diane and Lloyd is intelligent and filled with that special curiosity that happens when two young people find each other not only attractive, but interesting when they sense they might actually be able to learn something useful from the other person, end quote. This particular theme isn't new to people being from different worlds, parental concerns about being worthy, compatible, longevity, etc. These always come into play. So I want to talk a little bit about this because all too often, quote, parents just don't understand comes into play with high school stories. But in this one, it feels a little different to me. So do you think the story theme would work if the two main characters were from the same world? Almost not at all. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of think it's because their worlds were so, so different. And that was constantly um, the tension. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was listening to another podcast. I'm going to tie this in, I swear. I was listening to another <laughs> podcast and somebody asked someone what their favorite show was. And they were like, Frasier. Oh, I love like, Frasier. I love Frasier too. And I was like, they asked the person, why do you love it? And they're like, cause it's that tension. Like there's that Daphne and Niles, like there's always just like, you know, there's about this next thing to happen and you know that it's friction. And it's like, it's funnier because you know, that existing friction so you can sort of anticipate where it's gonna go but it's like it's endlessly entertaining because it's still really funny how it plays out and I think that's what happens when you know that there's a tension Mm -hmm. going going on there and also because they're I feel like um Diane's character was expected to be so worldly and experienced and smart like here she is like has this really progressive relationship with her dad and she's got these scholarships and she's the valedictorian and she's the president of this, 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 and that club. So of course she's going to go far, right? There's this assumption that Mm -hmm. she has everything. Whereas with Lloyd, he was, but every time you looked at him, he was just so genuine and heartfelt. And he like, he's so good with little kids and he wants to make it his mission to just like love Diane (laughs) I just don't think there's a person who can see him expressing that it's like that's a really earnest life like I think it's okay that he just wants to um love Diane so if if he had been like the equal you know brain or whatever or or even just social class right like even just social class yeah that that tension wouldn't be there and I think the tension helps to like amplify their relationship and like the stakes are higher. Mm-hmm. So it's more exciting as a story to see if they pass or fail or um, fly or fall yeah. based on that tension. So I was, <clears throat> I was thinking about too, like he could totally, his parents didn't have to live in Germany. Like they could have just all been living in that apartment, right? Like he could still be lost even if his parents were living in, in the community with him, like living in the Seattle close proximity, what have you. Cause you, they never explain. Oh, PS friends at home. Joan Cusack is also in this movie, his delightful sister. And that always makes me happy because I feel like she's always in one of his movies and that makes me so happy. 
<laughs> yes, I love that that they're siblings in so many movies together. Uh-huh. I would love to be fireside with them one time, right? <laughs> in a chat, right? Um, but you know, even in her situation, like you know, she's got this child in like his parent, his father isn't in the picture. So, so clearly, like even if even if Lloyd's parents weren't out of the country, they're still at a different level than like. Cause John Mahoney's I'm assuming I was, I assumed he was the business owner. Like he owned the old folks home. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't think it was a part of a friend, like a bigger conglomerate. I thought he started the, like I got the impression that he started the company and that that's too. it. So there's a difference between, you know, being a business owner, not that there's anything wrong with people joining the army and being the armed services. Like that's whatever, but it, in where I live, there's definitely, Joining the military is definitely um, a way out of poverty for a lot of people in my community mm-hmm. because there's not a whole lot of opportunity here. And I, I, I'd i be curious, like, a little bit more about, like, where they originated from, Lloyd and his family, because Seattle has a lot of opportunity. And I don't know if it did. I mean, I feel like it has always had a lot of opportunity comparatively to some other areas. And on screen... There was a few scenes where I'm like, that is California. I know that in Seattle. And I meant to like dig into it a bit more. I almost want to now. Cause I'm like, there's, there's a couple of scenes when he's packing to leave, to go to the airport later. I don't want to spoil anything, but I don't know how much we talk about. I mean, this movie is over 30 years old. It's okay. (laughs) It's not our fault if they haven't seen it yet. Yeah. The scene where he's packing with his sister to go to the airport and they show this view out the window and I'm like that is Hollywood hit like those are California hills there's no way that that is Seattle but when they show the pan shots I'm like obviously that's Seattle but even their street scenes they're driving around I'm like I'm pretty sure that's San Francisco or LA there's just I don't know but I want to um look that up but I feel like you're right the access point to growing up Mm-hmm. is very different in in those worlds too like you said like going into the military I almost feel like it's that divide that still exists with kids that go to four-year colleges and those mm. that go to community colleges right and there is I know in Canada it's also very different than here um where I grew up so if you went to like college it was trade school and if you went to university it was a four-year degree and I know that's not necessarily the case here right everything's college here <laughs> yeah I know it's we were so confused when we first moved here because I'm just like I always say university and people are like it's college no um, it's university we have it wrong <laughs> <laughs> we as in us Americans we should be calling it university <laughs> yeah um but yeah I feel like it's it was a little bit of that because she's like oh she won this scholarship she's going to mm-hmm. go overseas and that's kind of the whole thing about the characters being um, from the same world, even the position that Diane was placed in, that was the thing that stood out to me the most about how this movie aged and, and not in a, in a bad way, but it calls out like the expectation she's going to do so well. She's going to go international. She's going to have this great career. She's going to travel the world. But as a woman, she's like still expected to like be working and serving in the Um, home that her dad Mm -hmm. like there was still they didn't show a whole lot about their home life but I was like is the expectation that she's still going to be a wife and mother and doing like domestically oriented things while at the Mm -hmm. same time being like a Fulbright scholar or whatever it is right and like that's a double burden that I think is really placed on women and then 
Lloyd coming in and saying, well, I just want to be here to take care of her and, mm-hmm. and love her. And that's the role that usually we ask women to play in movies. So I think that was part of the tension of the story. Like, wait, who is this guy who's so good with little kids and is really mm-hmm. good with old people? And he wants to take care of her. Nobody knew what to do with that. And even though they loved it and it made him really charming, it just throws everything, right? Like all the gender roles yeah. up into the air. And I love that. Like, I love seeing it now. I'm like that aged so so well (laughs) yeah yeah. do you think that this is why we love John Cusack so much because he played Lloyd because he I mean he really can't do anything wrong in my mind (laughs) (laughs) my um I worked with somebody who dated him very briefly very briefly um when he was filming a movie in Alberta in Canada and Calgary Alberta and I still remember her telling me this story and I was like what and she's like they'd met in this bar during the Calgary stampede and for whatever reason was like wanting to hang out with her and you had like Marlboros and there and she said the whole night it was non-stop non-stop women hi like coming up over and over for autographs and she was like it gets it does get really irritating after a bit because she was like I was interested in talking to him and eventually they just had to like leave and people were trailing them and this is in Canada pretty famously people will leave you alone so a lot of stars will go there because even if people recognize you they're kind of like hey that's yeah. so and so you know it's not like mob media um oh. but yeah that's wow. my only six degrees of separation <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Sorry yeah, yeah. About him. I love that I love that I think it'd be interesting he seems like such a genuine guy and when I was doing research for our episode. And I just, you know, I can't think of a John Cusack movie. I didn't enjoy if I'm going to be honest. Um, you know, he had a lot of really sweet things to say just generally, like he's always very positive about his cat, like his coworkers. And he's just, and too, it says something when you constantly are willing to work with your sibling. I don't know if I could do that. That part, it's it's weird, but it's quirky, like cute weird. I, yeah. I just love it. The scenes of them together, I was like, oh, she's so, I mean, they just look like babies. Yeah. Um, but she was so, um, as our friend Tammy was saying, she's so classically mm-hmm. beautiful, but there's something about that 80s hair and mm-hmm. makeup. This whole movie, actually, that's one of the things I loved about this movie so much. It's, I know they were wearing makeup and they had their hair done, but it's not like other 80s movies. Yeah. I feel like other 80s movies, the hair was like so extreme yeah. and it's so much makeup on and the clothes were like so, it's like an album cover, you know, like it wasn't people being themselves. And then this one, I'm like, it's just them with their teeth and their, yeah. like everything was just not Hollywood perfect. Yeah, because weren't you the one saying like the nice thing about 80s movies is that everyone was still like, you know, people weren't what did how did you phrase it? Everyone was still kind of soft. Yeah. Is that how you phrase because you know now you watch these teen movies and everyone's ripped and you're just like, listen, nobody in high school has a body like that. Like that is not an okay thing to be telling our children. It's so everything is just chiseled to perfection and like their faces now too. You can tell like people in their teens and twenties have had surgery on their, and I mean, I know there's a lot of reasons for that. I don't want to throw shade on on people for making choices in their acting careers, but it made me realize how like untouched in a certain sense, those were like, you just look the way you look. And if your teeth weren't perfect or your skin wasn't absolutely perfect or your body wasn't like a size two, like people, there really was, I feel like 
more body diversity mm-hmm. than two. And I was really feeling like, oh God, something does something racist happen in this movie? And it doesn't. There's like, oh, there's there's some black kids at the party. Yeah. He's like he has diverse kids in his like karate class. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And I was all scared it was gonna come up as something awful. I'm like, it was just genuinely a really nice, I feel like it's all actually a wholesome movie. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. It definitely captured, I think, that post high school romantic summer, you know, life yeah. is on the cusp of coming of age life change situation in a way that feels true and like real, mm-hmm. not forced, um, not contrived, just very much like this is a realistic situation that could happen, you know? And I thought it was sweet when Somebody asked her at the party or later on, I forget when the scene happened. Somebody asked her at the party, why Lloyd? And she's like, you know, he made me laugh. And I, you know, and she was just so happy that somebody was like willing to like crack a joke so she could chuckle. Like that's adorable. It really, there's something about being able to laugh with a I feel like a partner who can always like see the the brighter side of things always scores a lot more points, right? Because you see everything differently because of the way they can see things. It's not always about like what's right in front of your face at at plain face, literally face value, right? Like there might be a chink in their like aesthetic armor, but like (laughs) you're going to appreciate like the intelligence and the wit Mm-hmm. And all those things that they they bring to the table that makes them so much more attractive. Yes, so. I was just gonna say it totally makes them so much more attractive. Like you can be a beautiful person on the outside, but if there's nothing inside, we've got a problem. Yeah. I need to have a conversation. That's actually a reoccurring theme in my dating life. My friend, a really good friend of mine, she is always like, You you get bored. You need to find somebody, like, like I'll start dating somebody and I'll tell them, you know, I'll fill her fill in the details and she'll be like oh that's nice and then when things kind of fizzle out she's like yeah I knew it would fizzle and I'm like what is so give me the analysis please and it always ends up being like something like you're you're gonna get bored is essentially the theme so that and I feel like I've run through every eligible (laughs) (laughs) oh and there's the fashion thing can I tell you I forgot about his like raincoat with his like high top shoes and his like baggy sweatpants I don't know there was I was kind of like that is kind of attractive like I feel like there was a whole look a look Mm -hmm. to that too Mm -hmm. that was just like it was kind of completely unput together almost like maybe even thrift store finds or something but I don't know combined with his personality and like earnestness and eyes and humor and like you know, the ghetto blaster scene, like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. He's just, he's just adorable. You know what I thought about when I was watching this? Cause like, okay, 1989, that little boy looks like he'd be between the ages of like three and five. Like (gasps) I could have totally played her daughter. (laughs) Yes. Where is he now? I would love to know where he is now. I think we need to look him up. Because I'm like, did you keep out? He was so adorable with his little blonde mullet. So cute. (laughs) It's probably like, no, it's like Sean Aston or something. That would be hilarious if it was. OMG. All right. I got to pull it by MDB real quick. Stand by. <laughs> Don't worry. It's on. It's my frequently used tabs. <laughs> oh, nice. I believe it. You know what that reminded me of? 
his best oh my gosh what's her name she's the one Corey. yes who's trying to get over joe and joe mm -hmm. lily taylor is the actress's name yeah yes i love her and i forgot how much i really love her and also that trope of of her and joe like that's very real yeah in present day like i feel like that happens to people over and over and over again i wrote 63 songs about joe right Right? but then he keeps coming around and like i love that lloyd stands up to him too to say Mm -hmm. can you just leave her alone already because she's written these 63 songs so we don't want to hear about it anymore and like he makes light of it but at the same time it's like we've all had we've all either been that person or, or we've all had that friend who's gone through that and it's just torture it's just torture to keep rebounding it really is that actress I forgot she was in it and she's been in a ton of stuff and then Eric Stoltz makes like a cameo which I think one of the quotes I pulled talks about that Mm -hmm. and then um Pamela Adlon Adlon she had a different last name in the credits in the movie but I was like why does that actress look like feel very familiar? She's done a ton of stuff. She's like voiced um, the King of the Hill, the little boy on King of the Hill. She's the voice of, she has her own show now on better things. She's done a lot of stuff with an actor that kind of hit a little bit of a issue and whatever. Um, But she's actually like kind of famous and I totally completely forgot she had this tiny minor role in this movie and it was and then when the credits rolled I was like Pamela so I hit the IMDB and I was like Pamela Adlon like duh so that was exciting for me (laughs) yeah there's people actually we had a discussion (laughs) the other day when partner about this and we were saying that I'd love to be one of those Hollywood people like you don't really know their name and you kind of know their face but they've been in like 150 movies yeah and they probably have had a really great life and made a really great living yeah doing what they love but like no one's gonna run them down the street like yeah with cameras like they can go to Costco they can (laughs) you know live their life and do whatever and and just be fine. I'm like, yeah, like those actors don't get enough credit because they have steadily worked. They've probably worked a lot more than the big actors because they've mm-hmm. always played these like kind of minor roles, but consistently. And yeah. so they're like formed in your psyche as, you know, part of the American landscape or at least the movie landscape. Yeah. And, but it's, they've had normal lives. It's like the dad in the new Bel Air series. I was like, this guy feels familiar, but I can't couldn't tell you who he was look him up on imdb he has 154 screen credits <laughs> that's what i'm saying he's like you know 44 years old 47 years old or something and i was just like well i failed but also good for you <laughs> nice see that's what it's all about i think mm-hmm. the the aim is for so many it's like you have to be on the cover of people and yeah maybe married to tom cruise or you know like there's that whole <laughs> You know what I mean? Like the extremes of, of stardom. And I'm like, that probably wouldn't be that much fun. No, we, we just recorded, I just recorded an episode about Amanda Bynes with some friends. And when I was doing research on her, she only had 25 screen credit, like actor credits. And I was like, that's Hmm. it for the level of stardom that she became and still kind of is like, that's you've only in, in it, two of them were, you know, there three of them were TV shows. So that's, you know, a couple years worth of work, but still the point is, is 
compared to, again, like some of these other actors and actresses that were just like, that person feels familiar. Why? And we don't really know their name off the top of our um, heads, but then here's Amanda Bynes who only had 25 screen credits. (laughs) Yeah. Or like Gabrielle Union. Mm -hmm. We talked about her recently on, on an episode. She's like, can't even go to the drugstore to get like feminine products or whatever personal needs she may have because it becomes like a front page story somewhere or it means she's pregnant or it means her marriage is split. Like it all means something. You can't just do the activities of normal everyday life. I was like, ah. Yeah. Yeah. That's why those gossip things are really dangerous too, Mm -hmm. because it creates a whole level of, you know, what does this mean? It's like, it means that I needed pads. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Hughes by Jewels offers custom artwork and original prints specializing in watercolor, focusing on the human form and different shades of skin. If you're looking for that perfect gift for a birthday or have a special memory you'd like to commemorate, visit Hughes by Jewels on Instagram. That's Hughes, H-U-E-S by Jewels, J-U-L-E-S. When looking for retrospectives at the 30-year mark for Say Anything, there really wasn't a lot, which actually surprised me. The Hollywood Reporter threw their hat in, of course, because that's what they do. One thing I thought was beautiful in their interviewing of the cast was John Cusack's observation about Diane and her father. He said in the article, quote, one of the very underrated parts of the film is just how great the story works as a father and daughter story, Cusack said. Besides the love story with the two characters, I think the acting with John Mahoney and Ione is incredible and kind of underrated in a weird way. If you can have something that's underrated in a movie that's so beloved, he said. And this was in April of 2019. So this is almost exactly 30 years later. So I want to like dive in a little bit more. We touched on it a little bit earlier, but I want to dive in a little bit more about the relationship between Diane and her father, because I mean, she full on tells them that they sleep together. And I thought, oh my God, would I ever? No, I still deny to this day that I've ever had sex in front of my parents. <laughs> I forgot about that scene and full on screech cackled like in the room. And Richard came running out. He's like, what? I was like, I totally forgot about this scene. <laughs> She's like, but I attacked him anyway. And like the look on his face, like everything. And I, I, the same thing, I'm like, I don't know that I've ever had that on of a, that honest of a conversation with any parental type. I mean, to make matters worse, I mean, my was raised by my biological grandparents. So guaranteed that kind of conversation was not going to reach that level of yeah. honesty ever. Yeah. And I'm, but at the same time, I, I kind of think it's cool. I'm like, I love that she could say anything like going back to that first time he says it mm-hmm. in the movie you know you can tell me anything and I'm like yeah but you're regretting that now yeah <laughs> the other thing that kind of stood out to me was how okay so earlier in the movie you know he's walking around um Lloyd's at the house having dinner with dad and associates and Diane and then they're talking about the jukebox and all the other things in the house. And he's like, Oh yeah, the jukebox, blah, blah. And then somehow it gets brought up that he like what he paid for the jukebox was like $9,000 or something like that. 
And then later when she's in the IRS office and he's like, like, it's so casual and just kind of like out there real, how quick they throw like anything that's like less than 9,000, like a roughly $9,000. And I was like, the jukebox, the jukebox. (laughs) (laughs) And then, but she was smart. She's a smart girl. And she was like, no, you're not going to trick me into saying something about my dad. And that loyalty she had in the very, throughout pretty much the bulk of the movie until the very end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was clear that the strength of their relationship was um, wanting to see her just keep standing up for her dad. And I think Mm -hmm. her knowing deep down that he wanted a really good life for her and wanted what was best for her. And even though ultimately what he did was wrong, that she like had held on as long as she possibly could to the idea that um, he didn't do what everyone else was telling her that he did. So that specialness of the relationship, I think, helped contribute towards that. Like just believing in somebody mm-hmm. that much is pretty is pretty special. Yeah, I agree. Because it's not too often that we see in pop culture, like, because I felt like the relationship was semi-healthy in terms of some other ones that we've seen between parent children. Um, he was just a normal guy who had expectations of his daughter and she met those expectations and wanted to meet those expectations um like there was a scene where she called home and every when they were at a party and yeah. people were like oh my god you called home <laughs> make but sure he was you're like, crying when you go home <laughs> yeah but that that actually I'm glad you brought that up because he just had this as long as you call me and tell me you're okay and like check in like do what you want like she'd she'd leave and be like I'll see you in the morning yeah like, with the expectation she was going to be gone all night. There's no, I don't think that's the norm in most house teen, teen parent households. Cause they're just like, you need to be back by 11 o'clock or whatever the curfew is. Like you certainly can't stay out all night. So the level of trust, you know, that yeah. they kind of had, and again, exemplified by her <laughs> coming out to her father when she's eventually intimate with Lloyd yeah. too, was like, yeah I feel like that that's uncommon yeah I still had a curfew even after I graduated high school so it's like must be nice Diane must be nice (laughs) there was some now I think back to it I'm trying to think back to high school there was kind of a bit of and I went to two different high schools and lived in like three different residential situations while I was in high school and they were all very very different and so I feel like I had when I was with my grandparents was super strict like you're going to the dance and it goes from seven to nine you'd be back by 9 15 like it's yeah. <laughs> literally the time you t- takes you to get home that's when you need to be here when I lived with my uncle my cousins in another province um my uncle would be like see you at three like go have fun I try and I'd be like I don't like and I'd come home at 1 30 like I'm tired yeah like my friends all have to be home so it's time to go to bed and then when I was in I was in actually in residence in like a boarding situation for my final year of high school and they for sure had a curfew you had to clock in at a certain time it'd be oh my god it'd be like 11 58 and you'd just see like 50 girls like running up (laughs) to the door to try to get in because if you were even a minute late you get you know written up so first year of college was like nuts right because now everybody can do whatever they want and I feel like 
those party scenes, like when I think of college movies, that could, that's a whole other discussion, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have, and that's a big part of that because people are so, the kids are so repressed at home and there's so much they're not allowed to do because of their parents' fear of what they'll get up to, that all that stuff just happens in college anyway because they yeah. just go nuts in their yeah. first year. It's like the write-off here. Yeah, like in the party scene where they're a key master, key master. key master, and everyone throws their keys in a bag. And I was just like, oh my God. Yeah. What a magical world the 80s were. <laughs> to have, I didn't remember that scene at all. I totally didn't remember that scene at all. And I loved how he checked on her. Yeah. Like she was like, see, he's just making sure I'm okay. Like he's not and crowding not like, her. Yeah. yeah not creepy stalker like who are you talking to yeah <laughs> stage five clinger situation I've had one of those where you're just like okay <sighs> you're cute but not cute enough to be this clingy bro like come oh. on <laughs> yeah they were sweet oh they were so sweet I know I, no, I just want to watch not... that again yeah <laughs> this doesn't help my Unreal, unrealistic fantasies that my life could be just the most perfect idyllic <laughs> rom-com or romantic movie that isn't overtly grotesque in any way shape or form like just keep reaffirming those ideals say anything go ahead right oh <laughs> it's okay the other thing that I thought was interesting, and I mentioned this a little bit before, a little bit ago too, was how Diane's mom basically wasn't surprised about her dad being um, involved with the IRS, like the IRS coming for her dad. So again, it makes you wonder like what kind of person he is with his daughter and is he being genuine? Because mm-hmm. like other people are just, well, and ex-wives are a hard one to you know convince that anyone's positive too I guess because that stare that portrayal of like the exes hating each other is such a strong trope that it's hard to break away from that I think even in reality mm-hmm. no I totally agree we are supported by Maya my yoga audio looking for a great read and a great listen then you want to read the short but powerful life and death memoir by Megan Morgan called The End of Me. It's about Megan's three brushes with death. And believe me when I say that it is meant to be a movie one day, friends. Also, check out Megan's interviews with wellness professionals and creatives, as well as yoga and meditation classes on her podcast, Maya, My Yoga Audio. You can find the book and the podcast on her website, myyogaaudio.com. Tune in to My Yoga Audio wherever you listen to this podcast and buy the book directly from Megan. The End of Me is also available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and other major online book retailers. It can be really hard to not watch movies from a different decade with the current era lens, but at the same time, those of us old enough to have lived through the status quo of Hollywood filmmaking can have a complicated relationship with movies of the past. The boombox scene in the film is referenced often in rom-coms or other points of pop culture, and John Cusack's image holding the now relic of an item above his head with the look of earnest and love is ingrained in pop culture infamy. But with all the re-examinations going on, we must include Say Anything. So, and you already kind of touched on this, you already mentioned it earlier, but did this movie age well? (laughs) It did. I feel like it. It really did. Um, and it goes back to those, like even just 
to, was it today or yesterday and a, a popular account that I follow on Instagram talked about like calling the radio station in the 1990s like the early 90s to yeah. call and request your favorite song and then yep. two hours later it comes on like we had such a personal relationship with music mm-hmm. and I don't know about you because I know we like we have a bit of an age gap but like me and my friends me and my boyfriends we used to make each other mixtapes yes. and like mail them like if we weren't in the same town like I'd get mixtapes from like my best friend who lived in England at the time and so she'd send me all the new music that was happening in England and then I'd make stuff um, because I lived close to the border with Detroit so there'd be like all this really cool stuff in there and I'd send it to my cousin who lived out west because music always traveled or how I've always learned it music always traveled slower Mm -hmm. out west than from east so she'd have this brand new stuff and she'd bring it to a party and she'd be like the cool kid because she had this stuff that was from England and Detroit (laughs) it was just um that scene with the ghetto blaster um encompassed so much of that right because you could listen to the radio you could play your own mixtape and and make it so personal to connect Mm -hmm. with that person and also I totally remembered the scene all wrong. Like in my head, that memory of him holding up the ghetto blaster was the end of the movie. I'm like, they're together forever. And that was the romantic moment and blah, blah, blah. I'm like that. It's not even, it's like the three quarter mark or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's his, it's his um, big, big gesture. Yeah. Which I thought yeah. was really sweet. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think it ages well. And I think a lot of that is because they are so focused on the core of Diane and Lloyd rather than the surrounding, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so because you're dealing with intra- intrapersonal rather than, right? Intrapersonal, mm-hmm. um, rather than the external, it really makes a difference in how a movie can age. Um, and I, and I think that if we were to drop this movie now with current stars, not, I don't think you'd have to change a thing about the script. Maybe because, well, cause then I, cause the other day I was like, well, yeah, like the main characters are white and the dad's white and the mom's white. It's also Seattle, which is still really white. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like you mentioned, there were people at the party who were, you know, there are people of color at the party. And um I I really do think that you could drop it in now with current celebrities that are, you know, 20 something playing high school kids, mm-hmm. and it would still work. You know what you have you make me think of now? It's like if they remade it in that time period in Detroit. Like how different that music, what would the lead song be? Yeah. Just from, from growing up there. Like, yes, I knew In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel, like the back of my hand. But the other songs that were popular at that time, yeah. I want to say like Cameo and... Yeah, like Prince and mm-hmm. Michael Jackson. And when I think of um, the Black artists or artists of color that were more popular at that time, like, what would that look like in that community? Yeah. You know, and it's it's not a criticism of this movie. No. It just has my brain thinking of, besides House Party, like, that's the only one I can think of that has kind of, like, a mostly Black, co- black cast. Um, yeah. But again, very different kind of setting and, and genre. But I was like, what if Say Anything were you know, in a predominantly African-American or Latino community Mm -hmm. or an Asian community, you know, unlike, was it 16 candles that aged so badly? Like the whole narrative with 
and long because, dong yes and, yeah yeah and, that, that's that's what i was holding my breath and say anything i was like did that happen and i wiped it from my memory right. and i was so relieved that it didn't because you know watching those other ones back i'm like oh i love these movies but this is so wrong big old butt big old butt yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's comp- we have a complicated relationship with them because people I would say like even people five years younger than me, we never really started that conversation of examining these movies until 2015 ish. So you've got a couple of generations now who grew up on those films where you're just like, listen, we didn't know it was icky until somebody said it. <laughs> And I'm sorry, I was 30 something when I realized that, <laughs> which it is was, terrible. It took watching it with my kids probably five years ago, six mm-hmm. years ago, it was shortly after we moved um, to Sacramento. And we did like a whole John Hughes festival over a Christmas holiday season. And they were like, <laughs> they were just like, I can't believe you watched this stuff. Like these were kids' movies in the 80s. And I'm like, well, they were like teen slash adult movies and they agreed same thing like there's parts of them that are really really good and they like yeah. the storylines but they're just like that's not okay and that's not okay mm-hmm. and I was like very cool to have those conversations with my kids and for them to point it out and I'm like but I felt it too like yeah. even at the t- I was like oh ick it's just like yeah. an ick you know, feeling that comes up. And now we know how to name it mm-hmm. and point it out and, and say what was wrong. But like, yeah, back in that time, it was, it was just normal. Norm, it's not anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I do love your um, idea though, about what would this movie look like in a different setting? Because music is such a huge part of teenagerhood, teenagehood, mm-hmm. teenhood, teenhood. Yeah. <laughs> Words are hard. Um <laughs> And, you know, when you were talking about how you, your friends and you would send mixtapes to each other and, you know, all that stuff, there's like such a fine art that is lost. We would make, you know, I was at the cusp of, um, cause I know CDs were introduced in the eighties and whatnot, but you still had to be fairly wealthy to afford a CD player and CDs, right? Yeah. Like they really started coming into common practice and like, you know, more in the nineties, but we still had, we would still make mixtapes for people. And it was not like, oh, I'm going to take it from the CD to put it on the mixtape. It was like, I'm going to wait for the song to come on the radio and work really hard to not get the DJ voice. <laughs> yep. Press both buttons down to record. At the same time. And then in our house, we would put the tape over the punched out part. So you could record over whatever that tape was if we couldn't buy more blank tapes. And, you know, that that's an art form that it's translated to an extent in streaming world, but it's not the same because, mm-hmm. you know, with streaming, you can put something on shuffle and the order changes for what, you know, an artist and Adele with I her most recent album. Say, did you hear about that? Yeah. yeah. She made it kind of a stink to Spotify and was like, please don't let them shuffle. I'm very careful about how I curate this list. And I felt that because I was like, yeah, because when you make a playlist for somebody, and in her case, it's millions of people, but like that one-on-one, like I have mm-hmm. a crush and I like you or, or you're my best friend and I'm making a list specifically for you. You're very intentional about that order. And there's something super romantic about it. Not just romantic, like, Ooh, I love you, but like <laughs> the intimacy of a friendship too, to know that you are like being very diligent in what you're giving to them. Oh, mm-hmm. I wish that level of artistry still existed. 
it's so true it's very it is it's a very curated experience like that's like very formal language but music has the power and so do movies too right to bring you back to that moment I think that brought me back to that moment and watching it and I was just like even the way that felt because it was film like in 1989 this was still film and I know it's been digitized and actually that was the thing it's on HBO I think that's what I watched it on yeah it looked so good. Yeah. There's so many um, 1980s films that I've watched and they're like, they're not redigitized. So it's just like stretched film and it and looks grainy. terrible. And I was like, oh, and it's sort of like, this is just such poor quality and, and it's not. So seeing something that's been like artfully redone to still yeah. capture like the colors and the film quality. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the brain to know how they do all those things, but I feel like this is the first 1980s film that I've seen where they've kind of done it justice that you kind of feel like you've been transported to that time without, without it seeming like the lack of technology was so bad. It's a charm of technology more than anything else. The lighting, everything. Mm -hmm. It was just also, it's a bit of a backtrack, but when the, when, when um, Diane was talking with the IRS and they were saying oh did you have nice things in your house but not too nice and like nothing over ten thousand nine thousand dollars or whatever it was and I almost feel like that's a playbook um it was the starting of a playbook of what they tell women to watch out for now like tinder swindlers and like you know all these these warning signs of like of a potentially predatory partner and it was in her dad and yet here was her dad telling her don't trust Lloyd, but it was really her dad who was doing the untrustworthy just, yeah. behavior. Yeah. yeah. And so just to me, yeah, I connect back all those things. I'm like, that was just sort of the beginning of those types of conversations happening. Right. And, and um, yeah, anyway, maybe it marked a wave of <laughs> what was to come next, but just to help women be um, more aware of yeah. what's going on around them and and never thinking that your own dad could be somebody pulling one over on you. Right. Right. Oh, mm-hmm. that's a really great observation. I love that. Cause again, you know, we watch some, we watch things so often and so regularly, especially the older things that you kind of forget. And Molly, and I bring, I bring, I've brought this up a couple of times on this season, but you know, Molly Ringwald really puts into perspective that era of high school eighties movies, because she calls it out in her New Yorker article. This didn't exist for us. We had after school specials that were cheesy and kind of dumb. Yep. <laughs> and that was it. That's why this is so revolutionary. And then kids today don't realize that because they didn't, they've gr- always grown up with content specifically for them, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I think when I think back to just even my own childhood, like sure we had TGI Friday on, you know, ABC 10, and then we had Saturday morning cartoons, but TGIF was still family friendly. It wasn't specifically for children, right? Like the Disney channel mm-hmm. now has like Disney junior and like all these channels that are very specific content for that age group. And that just did not exist 40 years ago in any way shape or form in Canada you're gonna laugh so we did not have MTV um at all or like BET any of that we had a show called video hits (laughs) and this blonde woman named Samantha I can't remember what her last name was but I still remember her to this day and she would like sit on this couch and be like and next we're gonna hear from Cindy Lauper and then they put on like girls just want to have fun or whatever and it was just but it was so exciting like that's the only 
like curated after school kind of teen focused show and then the original Degrassi series actually Degrassi Junior High Mm -hmm. um and that one but other than that and like you said Saturday morning cartoons and and stuff like that there wasn't really that curated experience we did there was the after school special but you had to have special cable which we didn't have so Mm -hmm. if I babysat and happened to be at four o'clock then I'd see it but nope I didn't see most of those. It's a, it's a, these kids today, <laughs> they don't know how good they got it. They got everything. <laughs> everything. They got channels just for them. <laughs> Though they don't have total request live. So that just makes me sad for them because yeah. that shit was awesome. My best friend, Abby, they had cable. They lived down the street. It's like, let's go to Abby's house. And we'd put it on and it was just the greatest. <laughs> Oh, well, we did you know all the people just you know anyway I wonder if that's see I feel like Canada just bore, I don't want to speak out of turn because I don't know enough about it but much music so we didn't have MTV but eventually we got much music which was basically modeled after MTV and then Toronto got speakers corner mm. which I have heard the reviving and it was literally like a phone booth looking thing on the corner of I think it was King and Spadina which is like this major intersection in Toronto and you could go and just say whatever, like you could record up to like 10 minutes. And then this radio station and this TV station would just play excerpts of it like oh late at night. I know. I see a lot of Lloyd Dobler and William Miller from Almost Famous. And I kind of mm. love that. So that to me says that when Cameron Crowe writes about love, he has a very specific type of guy in mind. And so now it makes me wonder, is he like that guy? Because Mm -hmm. to see men portrayed as sweet and kind and caring and loving and not malicious or all about them is such a far cry from what we see traditionally in romance, in love stories and rom-coms that it's kind of like, whoa, like, here's a theme, like as we went down the line of what Cameron Crowe had done, you know, the William Millers and the Lloyd Doblers of the world are the exception. They're not the rule, but it should be the rule, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, to help make it the norm. Like I like to think that Cameron Crowe was kind of advocating for that, mm. like a new way of thinking about masculinity. Mm-hmm. Maybe we're giving him more credit than is deserved but the more we're talking about it and thinking about it and seeing the similarities in those characters I'm like was that a grown-up Lloyd Dobler and you know Mm -hmm. I want to go watch I want to go watch that again I love Almost Famous it's Mm -hmm. so good I haven't seen it it's just been years Mm -hmm. I watch it every year (laughs) (laughs) Billy Crudup is so beautiful in that movie I mean physically like his character's kind of trash but (laughs) yes Yes. Like looking at him in a 70s retro style. It makes me happy. Hmm. <laughs> Sorry, Billy Crudup. I know that you're human. <laughs> I should be more generous. Anyway, Megan, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so happy to have you back. I love when you stop by and I just love our conversations in general. Can you please remind our friends at home where they can find you if they want to keep up with you? A mm, couple of places. My main um, Instagram is 
love in this life, L-U-V-I-N-T-H-I-S-L-I-F-E. And um, I also host a podcast called My Yoga Audio, which Julia has been a guest on. So you can head over and listen to that episode and any of the others. Um, and that's myyogaaudio.com or on Instagram, it's my.yoga.audio. Awesome. And we will put all the links in the show notes so you can easily find me again. Friends, until next time, thanks for tuning in, y'all.